The fear of punishment is a phenomenal motivator to get people to behave. Think about it. Last time you were driving on the road, why didn't you run that red light? Why didn't you go here in Phoenix? Why didn't you go over 10, 15 miles an hour? Fear of getting caught. Because if you get caught, you get punished, and the biggest punishment is financial. Either you get fined or they put you in jail, and if you go in jail, then that has final financial repercussions. So fear of disobeying the law is a phenomenal motivator to get people to behave. Because if they didn't behave, we would have chaos, true chaos. Well, the reality is since you were born, society opposed upon you their way of wanting you to behave. They imposed upon you and told you what to do, what to think, what to feel. And it has conditioned us to believe that if we don't follow its rules, we're bound to get into serious trouble. Think about parents. Ter parents taught you how to behave in certain ways. If you behaved in one way, then you were rewarded. If you behaved in a different way, then you were punished. There was one word in particular that my mom detested. And even to this day, I don't know why on the podcast, I can't say the word. And it's, it, it begins with F, and it's not the four-letter word you think it is. But that, that word was never allowed to be said. And if I said it, I would be punished. That worked. That fear of punishment worked. And the reason why children obey their parents is because they're dependent upon their parents. And that fear of punishment is a phenomenal way to get children to behave in a certain way. It's not only just parents. Think about school. Were you ever afraid of your teacher? Were you ever afraid if you did something that you'd get in trouble? Were you ever afraid of getting bad grades? Were you ever afraid of perhaps giving the wrong answer? The repercussions not only being made fun of by possibly by friends, other classmates, yeah, but also a fear that you would be seen as dumb, stupid. Politicians know how to use fear. For example, think about different campaigns that we've watched. For example, if, if Bob Smith gets into office, or if this other party wins, and then all you have to do, the politician that is running against this other individual, all they have to do is create the worst case scenario and say that if their opponent wins, ta-da, guess what? These terrible things are going to happen. In a society that relies heavily on capitalism, companies realize that fear sells. It works. You want to keep your kids safe? Then buy this car. It's been tested, proven. First thing I think about is Audi. I don't know why, but for decades, I believe that Audi was one of the safest cars. I don't have any proof of that anymore, but it's still there. I don't drive one. But again, if you want to keep your kids safe, buy this certain car. If you're concerned about your health, well, make sure, number one, you got insurance. Number two, you may want to try some of these supplements, vitamins. If you're concerned about your looks, join a gym. 
concerned or are you afraid about your you're losing and you're creating, getting more wrinkles and sagging in your face, guess what? They got Botox for that. If you want financial security, afraid that when you retire, you won't have enough to continue to live on, invest now. Save your money now. Make more money now. If you want to sleep soundly, you want to be able to fall asleep and know that your family's safe, well, buy this house alarm system Think about it. Companies realize that fear sells. If it didn't, they wouldn't use it. And if you want to manipulate someone, if you want to get them to do something, first and foremost, make them afraid. Because once they're afraid, they will be open to receiving your suggestions on how they can pacify that fear. So it's not only parents, schools, companies, it's also religion. And right after this break, we're going to talk about that. Perhaps you grew up in a home or in a church where you were taught about the blessings and the curses, especially seen in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy comes to mind. If you obey God and obedient, behave in a certain way, then God would bless you. God would not only bless you, but God would bless the land. Your obedience, your behavior was actually tied to what would happen with the land. But if you disobeyed God, you you may go through a period of drought. You may go through where you have locusts come in and destroy your crop. Curses will come into your life. Over time, this idea of blessings and curses reached its epitome, its, its apex, if you would, with the whole idea of a judgment day. The idea that eventually God was going to say, yep, Time out, we're done here now for a little bit, and we're going to make a decision on where you're at. And if you have enough positive points, you'll get this reward. And if you don't have enough points, you're going to get this punishment. You think I'm joking? All you have to do is look in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. There's this book of life where all your ideas that you've done, all your thoughts, all your actions are recorded But eventually, God will make a judgment, and you will either end up on the positive side and get the rewards, or you'll end up on the negative side, and you'll get the punishment. What's the reward? The ultimate reward for many individuals, they believe, is heaven or some kind of nirvana or being able to not have to come back reincarnated in another life. For Christians, many of the ultimate punishment is hell where you will literally, some people believe, will burn forever. That says, I think, I mean, just kind of veering off just real quick, but what does that say about God? That God would cause individuals to burn forever. 
these ideas have been a part of Christianity for millennials. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon one time and entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Perhaps you've been on campuses when you went to college, and maybe you're familiar with the term Campus Crusade for Christ. Well, one of the things that they teach their young people to ask other non-believers is the question, if you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? Now, that is based purely on fear. Fear that if you get the wrong answer, fear that if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you have not pronounced the, the sinner's prayer, well, if you were to die tonight, uh, probably not the best thing for you. Christianity, in order to get people to behave in a certain way, to make certain choices, has far outweighed God's anger over God's love and God's grace. Now, they, I, I, will, I would imagine that there are some people, some of you right now, that would disagree fervently with me. But it, if there's no fear of punishment, then grace doesn't become as significant, does it? I mean, if we all get the same at the end, whatever happens to us happens to all of us, I think things would look differently for us. But fear has functioned in a way that goes back far in time. In 2006, there was an evolutionary psychology paper. And in this study, they realized that individuals who believed both in human punishment and eventually divine punishment, they actually had an extra buffer. Remember what we said at the very beginning, that... Fear of punishment motivates individuals to behave in a certain way to avoid that punishment. That happens on the human realm. But it also happens when you add, you get this extra layer of protection if you believe that there is a divine punishment. So these urges that we have, the, the desire to lie, to cheat, to steal, in order for our own benefit, to follow our own selfish impulses. All of these we try to hold in check by not only having fear when it comes to human punishment, but it's also fear when it comes to divine punishment. Mark Deaver, who is the senior pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., He's also the president of Nine Marks, and I visited his website this week and realized that he got this. He understood how fear works. On the one side, he, real, he, he says on, his, on this blog post that I read, he says on this one side that, that fear, we don't like it. We, we try to avoid it. We don't like to be manipulated by it, but we also fall to its control of us. But then Deaver goes on and he asks this question. He says, our society tolerates 
warnings of objective dangers. Warning, um, road ends, uh, bumpy road, uh, falling rocks. We have these objective signs of potential danger and the consequences is what keeps us from continuing to go forward. But then Deaver asks, what about spiritual matters? Matters of God, our souls in the afterlife. Is fear an appropriate motivator in the spiritual realm? And this is where Deaver brings it home. Jesus exhorts us to fear hell. And he also warns us to fear God, who has the power to cast us into hell. So Deaver says that this not only has work in our society, but Jesus himself employed it. He goes on and he says, follow Jesus in warning others about the fearful future that awaits those who do not repent of their sins and trust in Christ. Literally, what Deaver is talking about is scaring the hell out of you. Because Deaver realizes that fear works. Again, listen to the street corner preachers. On a Sunday morning, you're going to hear a lot of fear coming from a lot of pulpits. Fear for not donating to the church. Fear for not attending church. Fear for certain behaviors that you're doing or not doing. Churches, some churches have realized that fear works and they capitalize it just like parents, schools, and companies do. And yet, there's a passage in the New Testament. It's found in the first epistle or the first letter written or attributed to John. In 1 John 4.18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. Again, think about that. What is it that drives us? What is it that motivates us to act in certain ways? Is it done by fear or is it done out of love? Bertrand Russell, a philosopher, was not overly excited about Christianity. And in 1927, there was a lecture he gave entitled, Why I Am Not a Christian. And one of the statements he made, religion is based primarily and mainly upon fear. Now that needs to be taken in context with an essay that he wrote back in 1912 entitled The Essence of Religion. And there he says, fear trends more and more to be banished by love. And in all the best worship, fear is wholly absent. Here's a man who was not a Christian, but watched from the outside and saw how fear was being used in religion. And he said, it isn't working, folks. It may work temporarily, but in the long term, it's going to come back and bite us. And that's why he emphasized love. Love as the ultimate motivator. 
But the question is, can we truly use love as that motivator if fear is still present? The idea of a punishment. Aristotle, he himself understood the value of love over fear. He said, he who has over, or overcomes his fears will truly be free. If you overcome your free fears, you will truly be free. So are you tired of being afraid? Are you tired of religion using fear to get you to behave in certain ways? Well, for many individuals, the answer is yes. And that's why they, many of them are beginning the process of walking away from church and from Christianity. It's often called deconstructing. And one of the reasons for that is fear. Fear being used as a form of man manipulation to get you and I to behave in certain ways. Next week, I want to explore this idea of walking away from fear. And in particular, I want to focus upon the consequences of believing in hell. Because if we're fear of punishment, and the ultimate punishment is hell, then why do we continue to believe in it? Does this have negative consequences on our well-being? And if so, are we afraid to not believe in hell? Because if we don't believe in hell, we're afraid we might end up in hell. And we might be wrong. Next week, I want to explore that with you. Because I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you believe in hell or not. One time I did. And it literally scared me. I remember as a kid being terrified that someday that I would end up in hell. I remember going to bed at night, and at night we were taught that we were supposed to confess our sins, ask for forgiveness before we went to bed. And I remember sometimes as a kid thinking, what happens if there is something that I forgot to ask forgiveness for? Or if I asked for forgiveness, and then the next day, and the next day I kept doing it, I would ask for forgiveness, and then come back and do it again, and that cycle would continue on and on. Would a point come where God would say, nah, sorry, too many, too many times. You're really not sincere in asking for forgiveness. Fear. Fear can motivate us and help us as individuals in society. It can protect us, but ultimately, it will not produce an individual and a society that are healthy, psychologically healthy. I don't know about you. I wish I did. I wish I knew more about your thoughts and ideas, and I want to hear from you. I would love to hear about your fears, what role religion played in your life when it came, and fear in religion came into your life. What, is, what, did, what impact did it have? If you would like to share your ideas with me, you can email me at this email at the bottom of the screen. And I would love to be able to dialogue with you about that. So next week, 
we will continue our discussion. But until then, no matter what you're doing out there, stay safe and take care.